everybody. My name is Brianna Sikowski, and I'm here today with Christine Penalto, co-founder of Sidelined USA. And today we will be talking about, or furthermore, sharing the story um, about You Matter. So today we have Sue Rosenstock with us. Hello, Sue. Hi. How are you? I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Not a problem. Thank you for for being here. Um, so Sue, can you please um, tell Christine and I a little bit about um, Evan's story? Sure. Um, my son, Evan, uh, was 16 years old and attended uh, Winston Churchill High School in Potomac, Maryland. He was a sophomore athlete who was chosen to be on the varsity team as a sophomore. And um, he was... He, Basketball was the game he played since he was seven years old. So it really became that was his game. And um, it, luckily, he had a mom who was an athlete who took a vertical leap study. I was able to show him how to leap. And really, he worked and he was coachable. Um, and uh, in February of uh, 2013, he uh, told us that he had a back issue. And so it turned out he he did have an injury and we took him to the doctor and he had an MRI done and he went back to practice in street clothes. And um, evidently there was some things that were still being required of him that were maybe a little too physical based on his doctor's note. So this became something that Evan was the kind of kid who, as I said, he's coachable, so he wouldn't say no to an adult. Most of them wouldn't. Um, so he did what he was asked to do, and uh, he needed surgery. Um, at the surgery, we found out that he's you know, going to be good to go because at 16, who wants to have back surgery? What parent wants a child to have to go through back surgery? So after making sure it was necessary, he had the surgery. And, uh, and he just wasn't himself for about a week. He might've taken some, um, meds just to, you know, help with the pain, but he knew the risk of those. And so he immediately came off of them, went to Tylenol, Advil kind of a thing. And, uh, and he, he fell into a depression because he felt like he couldn't be that athlete that he was identified as by himself and by others in the school. And at 16, your high school identity is really important to you. And to have that taken away with the piece of the basketball now as an injury was truly devastating for Evan. He was going to school. He was still socializing with friends, but people didn't come to visit him after school anymore because they thought he was back at school and okay. And I really feel like he felt alone. The last visit we went to with the doctor, Evan had gone to school, bless his little heart, and found out if he had a back injury, what sports could he do? If he couldn't do basketball, what could he do? And he found out that he could make the crew team and he could make the track team because you didn't have to play those sports since you were seven. So he, we went to the doctor and he asked if he could do either one of those sports. And unfortunately, the doctor just felt he needed to heal over the summer. This was about April. And he just felt like he needed to just really take it easy on his back, let him heal and do things. But he wasn't bouncing back. The doctor prescribed physical therapy to try to get him moving again. And he really just felt very hopeless. And um, 
we we went to the pediatrician and i i give him all the credit in the world he told us he told us how he was feeling he told us he didn't feel right and we did everything we were supposed to do as parents we took him to the doctor we took him to the psychologist the psychiatrist and unfortunately um evan his hopelessness, um, you know, he was on some medication. I don't know what the interactions of all that were, but it was really a perfect storm for him to really end his life at the point where all the things that he, in his own 16-year-old, non-closed frontal lobe brain, couldn't reason with the idea that this is going to get better. It was right now, nobody's visiting me, I'm alone, I don't wanna, you know, and yet he was still going to school and socializing with friends. So it didn't look as obvious as some of the other situations, which is why, you know, staying on top of it and making sure that you're listening to your child um, really, really, really helps. And not only them, but their friends. So that's a little bit about Evan's story. Unfortunately, he died May 20th, 2013. And um, the entire community was as shocked and devastated as we were. Um, overnight, I didn't look at this, but overnight there were 6,000 likes on his Rest in Peace page. I didn't even know he knew 6,000 people. But then right after that, four people, four friends of his, but they were all from different walks of his life. So one was from camp, one was from basketball, one was from school, um, and another was just from um, Hebrew school. And all four of these kids who heard of each other but didn't really know each other all came and said the exact same words to me, which was, if this could happen to Evan, this could happen to anyone, and we're scared. We don't wanna lose another friend. How could this happen to Evan? Evan was the one I went to talk to. Who's gonna be my person that I'm gonna to go to now? So they all said they wanted to do a three-on-three -three basketball tournament and raise money to bring awareness to teen suicide, depression, um, fund research on it, and uh, really get the word out that this can happen to anyone. So that's how You Matter started. Four months after Evan passed, we had our first three-on-three -three basketball tournament. I'll say that again. Four months after Evan passed, they had their first three-on-three -three basketball tournament, and it raised $25,000. And I was in no shape for this. These kids, these kids made this happen. These kids made it happen. They kept coming to my house, knocking on the door, saying, Sue, get out of bed. We got to go visit this pro athlete to ask him to come to our event. And so that's really how New Matter came to be. And since then, um, in Evan's honor and, and memory, it's all kid run. It's um, their decisions. Uh, and so it's really um, that peer element that's really important to us, which is that, you know, five kids, four kids. And that's what we feel really helps because everybody's definition of a word is different, especially at the different age ranges we are. Right. Wow. I mean, just need to pause there because that's just, um, it's such a sad story, but it's such a story full of hope because of Evan's friends and you who, I mean, you really had to push through a lot of just, I'm sure you just wanted to go sit in your house forever and not leave. I mean, that's what I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I wouldn't leave. Um, 
So you all had to kind of push through that and find a way to add value and, and make sure that you can, you know, reach out and help other families, other kids who may not, you know, have that same support and be able to make sure that we know that this can happen to anyone, absolutely anyone. Um, so one of the things that you guys are trying to do is to raise awareness about the signs of emotional distress. And you know, I know you shared a little bit of what some of the things like Evan would say, I just don't feel right. I mean, that's definitely a warning sign. You guys acted on that. But like, what other warning signs are there for us all to look out, whether we're a parent or an athletic trainer or a coach or a teammate or just, you know, like a friend from school, a teacher? What can we be looking out for? What can we all do to help those who are suffering silently? Thank you for that question because it's so critical at this juncture of where we are. Um, most of us know the signs of heart and stroke because we've been taught those. Okay, there's five signs and if somebody stood in front of us and clinched their chest and said their arm was hurting and you would know something in those two areas might be what's going on. So after the Sandy Hook shootings uh, took place, the White House convened its first summit on mental health. And out of that summit came a concerned committee of citizens from all walks of life, psychiatrists, psychologists, business people, associations, all kinds of people came together to create a common language such as Stroke and Heart has. So with that ability, they were able to identify five signs of emotional distress, uh, which I'll tell you about in a second. And as well, the follow-up to that has been the five healthy habits for emotional well-being. And that's really where, as we try to take everything and flip it into the positive, I'd like to go through these. And they do also have the warning signs here. So the first healthy habit is you want to take care. You want to take care of yourself. And what we think is taking care of ourselves as adults is different than what a younger person or an adolescent or a teenager. Our demographic is 10 to 24. There's a wide range of what it means to take care of yourself. So when we talk to kids and we ask them, what does that mean to you? So then we can then sit with the parents and we say, what does that mean to you? Well, did you know that this is what it means to your child? It's nothing like what they thought. So that's where the critical conversations start to happen is to say, I would think of this. What do you think of that? So the next one is check in, check in with your friends, check in with your family. I'll use Evan's example is that, and, and all of his friends unfortunately felt so guilty after this, but they all said they wished he would have called more. They wished he would, you know, that they would have done these things. Checking in is a very important, you don't hear from somebody or they don't sound as, you know, the way they usually do. Check in and ask that question. Are you okay? Um, engage meaning be with people, do things, you know, get out there, healthy, emotional um, relationship support. Um, so you want to engage, you know, your family, your friends. Sometimes it's not always your family, but it's your chosen family that you go to. Sometimes it's not your parent, but it's your friend's parent. Sometimes it's an aunt, an uncle, somebody else that's not necessarily the person we would think of would be that person that you might want to engage with and discuss. Relax, relax. I cannot say that enough. I think that we in the United States do not relax enough. We don't accept relaxing. We don't use our vacation days. And I think this is a big part of 
what we need to do uh, is everybody just take a deep breath and relax. If we could get everybody three times a day to do that, I, I think that road rage would end. <laughs> so, um, so relaxing is a really key point, and it's something clearly here in the U.S. we have trouble with. And then know the five signs of emotional suffering. And, and here's where I'm gonna break down those signs. The first one is a personality change. So what does a personality change look like to me? One thing, to my friends, to my family, but what does it look like to a high school student? What is a personality change? You have to understand their personality to begin with to understand the change. And that's what's so difficult about the high school kids. However, they have that language to understand what it means for a change of personality to themselves. Then they can convey that to somebody. The idea is if we can bring those uh, peer leaders, if you will, kids who know how to take care of these things or know these and reduce the gap to find the trusted adult, we know we can in fact uh, prevent suicide, uh, drug abuse, and bullying. It reduces those. The second one is uh, agitation. I think we all know what agitation is. And uh, I'll tell you, Evan walked into the door one day and I'm in the kitchen cooking. And by then he, he was staying downstairs because we had a queen size bed walked in the house, said, shut the F up to me, and went downstairs. I have to tell you that boy's never cursed at me in his entire life. He knows better, let alone I didn't say anything to him. He just walked in the door, said his expurlative, and went down. So that you know, agitation was there. Withdrawn. This is one that is something that I would encourage parents to talk with their kids about because kids don't understand what it means to be withdrawn. In my experience of working with kids now for five years in a high school setting, they have a completely different understanding of what it means to be withdrawn. They think it has to do with drugs. They think that, you know, it's, it's a different, so, so discussing, you know, withdrawn means this to me, what is that to you? Um, and then the, uh, the fourth one is um, uh, personality change, personality changes, okay? So, and a lot of that can be uh, things like somebody eating too much, somebody eating too little, then somebody who treated their body as a temple is now eating Cheetos all the time. Um, it, it can be things along the sleeping too much, sleeping too little. Uh, I heard a lot of that from previous athletes as well. And, um, and, and the last one is hopelessness. When you see somebody is hopeless, and I can honestly say that that would be the word I would use for where Evan was at that point. And it's hopeless. It's hopeless that you can ever see that it's going to get better. And unfortunately, once again, with kids, they don't even have that capability in their brain to do this. So it's not something they're choosing not to do. It's something they're incapable of doing based on their physical situation. If we, if we tried to lift 500 pounds, I couldn't lift 500 pounds. And, and if I was asked to do that, I would have a really hard time doing that. So it's similar. Right. Those are really the warning signs. I think from a parent, though, the biggest thing I would say is talk to your kids. Bring them out. Talk to them. Don't judge them. Don't argue with them. Don't try to fix it at the time you're talking. 
active listening is very difficult to do. And in, in active listening, a lot of times you'll say something, it'll make me think of my own experience in that area, uh, and it'll go back and forth. But if I'm actively listening, I'm not thinking about how that affects me. I'm just thinking about what you're saying and trying to absorb what it is that you need. And that's really where I think we could really help parents with some active listening. So Sue, from your perspective, how, I know you had spoke on the parent side of it, but how can teachers, coaches, administrators um, be prepared to prevent a tragedy like this or um, in another case, support a kid that's going through this? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think that um, unfortunately these tragedies have gotten the schools uh, to actually now take action. Um, in the state of Maryland, it's required that one of the continuing education credits from every guidance counselor has to be in suicide prevention. And now all school personnel have to be trained in some sort of suicide prevention. So that's a big step that's happened, um, being able to, to get people trained about what it is. Um, also, there's this fear of breaking confidentiality on so many levels. It's there. I was in touch with Evan's guidance counselor. She was doing as much as she was capable of doing. Unfortunately, there were things where Evan would say, I don't want you to do this. And then they have to follow what he says, not what I say. And uh, so, so some of that really becomes, unfortunately, a lot more pressure on the guidance counselors where if they were trained, they would have a little bit better uh, equipment, a toolbox for themselves if something is like, and a way to be able to communicate with parents that's safe and doesn't make the child feel like they were betrayed. Um, uh, so I think that schools, there's also um, an organization that we partner with, and I'm very proud to say that as of June, we were able to launch, this was our five-year goal, was to launch the Mid-Atlantic Regional Chapter of the Positive Coaching Alliance. 70% of kids drop out of organized sports by the time they're 13 years old. 70% of kids drop out of organized sports by the time they're 13 years old. It's because it's not fun anymore. They're, they're not getting out of it what they want. They're, they're being yelled at, not worked with. Um, and that's an alarming statistic. And that's where the Positive Coaching Alliance with their evidence-based programs have really pushed through and changed, and they're changing that culture into a positive culture. So they have uh, programs for administration, as you asked. They have programs specifically for coaches. They have one for parents of student athletes. And then they have one uh, for student athletes. And these are all researched uh, evidence-based back, so they have to be taught in a certain way every time. But the goal of the Positive Coaching Alliance is to create better athletes and better people. And so part of a Filling their emotional tank is part of all of that piece that they go through. And so hopefully if coaches can become more aware, get more programs like the Positive Coaching Alliance implemented in areas um, that, that they can be trained to do things that are going to be better for a social, social emotional experience for those athletes versus their worst nightmare. 
For sure. I mean, Sue, this is really, really helpful, I think, for our audience. So many um, people that listen to us are parents of athletes that just kind of like want to know what to look out for and just how to help their son or daughter. And you've spoken a lot about the different ways that you are making an impact on just education and raising awareness. What would you, maybe as we wrap up here, what would you specifically add if you were talking directly to parents? Let's say they see these signs of, you know, emotional distress in their kid. What do you recommend for them to do? I know it's a little heartbreaking in the sense that, like, you don't have regrets. You did do the things you are supposed to do, and your outcome, unfortunately, was not what anybody wants it to be. But, you know, it would mean a lot if you could just share from your heart how you can encourage these parents to, you know, step forward in faith and to do the very best they can like you did. So if you can speak to that, that would be really helpful. What I would say to parents um, is you really have to understand that this can happen to anyone. I, I would love to throw out the expression, not my child, because it can be your child. Depression, suicide, mental illness does not discriminate. But if we can take the I from illness and replace it with we, we can make illness into wellness. And that's where we try to, to go. And, and talking to parents, I would say, um, don't brush it off as typical teenage behavior. If that's what you think is happening, call your pediatrician. Call, I mean, text the, the lifeline and they'll tell you. There are, there are resources as a parent, you can go right now and say, gee, I don't know what to do in this situation because I'm not sure it's X, it might be Y, right? And that's troublesome. So let me ask the expert. So, you know, we use phone a friend, we use text lines, we use um, resources from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. But I think really what's important for a parent to understand is, is that active listening and not judgmental. Unfortunately, I, I had a situation a couple of weeks ago where um, this is somebody who's from a different culture but, and they've been living here. So the son has been raised in our culture, but the parents are in a different culture. And in that culture, no depression is accepted. It's always a man up kind of thing. And this boy came to me and actually said, I can't, I don't know where else to go. And he physically showed up and, and we talked it through and he shared with me about how his father didn't believe him because he was still able to play basketball, but how, why was he depressed about school? And, you know, so when those kinds of things happen and you think that they're doing what they want to do and not what you want them to do, it's because they're trying to make it. They're, they're trying to almost fake it to make it through the day. They're hiding their real feelings and they're trying to do what outwardly looks like it's okay, which outwardly when you're playing a sport means showing up. If you're not doing as well as in school, it's inwardly. You know about it, but it's not public out there. So I was able to, thank God, this parent did know Evan. And I, I had made that very difficult call to tell this person, I have no reason to call you except to tell you that the things I've heard your son say trouble me. And I have to tell you that for me, even after what I've been through and how much I go and speak to parents and people is the most difficult thing to do is to get onto a phone with some parent who doesn't believe this. And I have to say 
look at me, it can happen. And so luckily after a three hour conversation, I was able to turn that parent around. I was able to say to the young man, go home. And you know, tomorrow he's, we were already outlined where you can get help. And so those are the situations that you deal with. Sometimes it's cultural, sometimes it's just privacy. Sometimes it's, but, but really what you have to do is break it down and, and really say the hard things, which is it, if you don't do something and something happens, can you live with yourself? And unfortunately, that's where I have to break it down for parents sometimes. It's a very sobering, a sobering thought. And you're absolutely right. In this country, like the American culture is a lot of just independence. We don't, you know, sometimes we just don't we keep things close to the heart. We don't share our family problems. Um, so it's a really good encouragement to hear you say that you and just even lead the way on that, making that awkward phone call to to bring up something that like, hey, you have better things to do in your day in a sense than to push through someone's personal barrier and to just put yourself out there. But you have nothing better to do than to rally for this kid. You know what I mean? Like you, you see the higher purpose in that. And I just, I hope that that resonates. I think that will with our audience. So if you have a concern about somebody else's kid, there's absolutely no reason for you to feel embarrassed about overstepping um it could be a matter of life and death so yes Very true. as as well to add to that too christine is i would say that as uh, as an adult of a friend so so if my child was friends with your child and your child is struggling but comes to me mm-hmm. it's my obligation as a parent to now go tell that other parent no matter how awkward that is and I, I just cannot express enough how it's okay to not be okay and to talk about it. And the idea of destigmatizing this by realizing just how many times this can happen. Um, I'm not usually one about statistics a lot, but unfortunately, both in the state of Maryland and the state of Delaware, the leading cause of death from 10 years old, 10 years old, to 14 is self-harm suicide. Now, if you think, I thought my son didn't understand what he did. I thought it was an accident. He was 16. I asked his kids, his friends, do you know if what this would do? And they all said yes. And then when I find out 10-year-olds know how to do these things, it's pretty, so that's why I feel like more than ever, just talk to your friends, talk to your friends' parents, um, and, and reach out. There are two numbers that I would love to leave with you. And that is, one is the Suicide Prevent the Lifeline. It was actually just passed by um, our federal government, 100% nonpartisan, that we are going to be uh, adding a lot of funding to the National uh, Lifeline, which is the National Suicide uh, Lifeline Hotline, which is one 800 273-TALK, T-A-L-K, which is 8255. And the second method, which would resonate with kids or parents who may not want to actually make that call, cultural, et cetera, differences, seven, you can text HOME 
to 741-741 and a trained counselor 24 seven will respond to your text. Um, I'm actually going through training. I have a group of kids in Delaware now who are gonna be doing the training with us. So 24 seven and, and they, in the la they just celebrated their five year anniversary. And in the last, after the school shootings that had happened in the spring and some of those things, they saw those just texts soar through. So we're, what we're seeing out of that is that the kids are really using it and it's showing a real increase in the use, which is great because it, it gives them a way not to necessarily have to come up because they don't like talking on the phone, uh, it, you know, to be able to communicate in a way that's comfortable for them. So this is such an important conversation and um, what you're doing is such important work. I just thank you so much for um, taking a story that is really, really touching and really, really deeply sad and empowering you know, others to go and make this difference and for Evan's life to change others' lives. Um, really makes a difference in our community and the sports community. We have to start talking about this as it pertains to these athletes who are used to handling things. They're used to fighting through. And then if they get to a point and they feel like they literally just cannot fight through anymore, um, we need to be ready to see what that looks like and, um, and to do everything that we can. So thank you for encouraging us to work as a team, you know, getting past those social barriers and just talking about it get over the stigma because it doesn't have to be a stigma and making those safe places for these kids to say, like, I'm not feeling okay. And, and it's okay not to be okay. Right. More importantly, it's okay to not be feeling right. And people, not just or kids in specifically need to know that there is a safe place to talk, to be able to communicate with their parents or if not their parents, something, someone as amazing as you or, a school counselor or you know a coach someone to be a friend to talk to them about their feelings right that's the key is not making them feel alone we'll get all those resources posted on the sideline website and um so we look forward to i know that we just recently got introduced to each other and have quite a shared mission in so many ways and so we appreciate you coming and speaking to our sideline community your, your voice is, is important and needs to be heard. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to um, share that with our audience. Thank well, you. Thank you for having me and thank you for continuing the great work you're doing. And uh, I applaud you both. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.